This is One-on-One's NFL Friday, bringing your weekly Jets, Giants, and NFL talk from WFUV Sports. With top guests, weekly fantasy advice, and opinionated analysis, this is One-on-One's NFL Friday. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of NFL Friday. We reach the divisional round of the playoffs. David Spampanato here, joined by Jackson Heil and Devin Clementi on the phone. Guys, we reached this point in the playoffs, but before we get to anything surrounding the rest of the league, I want to talk the Jets hiring Adam Gaze. Now, this was something that I think blindsided a lot of Jets fans after everyone kind of expected Mike McCarthy to be the hire. But, Jackson, we'll start with you. Overall, what are your feelings on the hiring of Adam Gaze? I feel pretty good about it, to be honest. And a day ago, I wouldn't have said the same thing because, personally, after the way it went down with Gase in Miami, with all the problems he had with dealing with the media and players, I wasn't a huge fan of it. But you look at what he's done as a football mind and as an offensive coordinator and head coach, he's dealt with some problems in terms of teams he's had to be on. I mean, he let Tim Tebow go 6-1 and one and won the playoff game he brought Ryan Tannehill to the playoffs, which three coaches before haven't been able to do. So from a schematic standpoint, I think Gase was the best option for the job. I personally would have been going hard after Lincoln Riley, even though he just signed an extension with Oklahoma, and that probably wasn't a realistic option. But overall, I think if Gase is able to learn from his mistakes in Miami, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the hire, and I think this can work for sure for the Jets. Devin? Yeah, so I just feel like, I mean, let me say this. He wasn't my first choice, but a lot of people were, a lot of Jets fans specifically were hating the move, and he was my second choice. Like, I thought that he that he was a decent hire. I didn't want Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy, for, for a number of years now, people have been criticizing his play calling and, and saying that his play his playbook in general was just, kind of rudimentary like that that Aaron Rodgers succeeded not because of McCarthy but kind of in spite of him and I don't want a guy like that developing our young quarterback in Sam Darnold the guy that I kind of wanted was Eric Bieniemy, the the OC for Kansas City um I just I feel like guys like Doug Peterson and and uh just last year um Matt Nagy getting hired for Chicago those guys have been successful in their head coaching jobs but Adam Gase brings a lot of fire, and I feel like that was sorely missed during Todd Bowles' tenure. Todd Bowles was very like Jim Caldwell in that they're like zombies on the sidelines. Right, I think right. that, that hurts your team when you, have, when you have young guys like that. Gase got the best year out of Jay Cutler's career, the best year out of Ryan Tannehill's career, and helped Manning to his best year in what was a Hall of Fame career when he was 37 years old. Um, and that became basically the greatest offense of all time. So I'm really I'm really excited for what Gase can bring to the table and how he could develop Sam Darnold. I think it's fair to say that McCarthy's offense was perhaps boring and stale at times in Green Bay. But to me, with McCarthy, one thing you can't take away from him is his resume and the success he's had in the NFL. He can change his offense. He can change the styles that he plays with. But his success can't be denied. In terms of Adam Gaze, he doesn't quite have that resume. So, Devin, are, are you comfortable with a guy that really doesn't have any impressive head coaching experience on his resume? Because if you want to talk yeah. playoff appearances, you could go back and say the same thing about Todd Bowles and say that he yeah, was 10-6. You, have- you know, Even though it wasn't the playoffs, he was 10-6. and six. 
you're 100% right, but I also feel like when you're looking at, first of all, all these offensive-minded head coaches are kind of like the flavor of the week now. Everybody wants them. And there's a lot less, I think, of these these great offensive-minded head coaches in the league than there are defensive coaches. And the Jets, I felt like they've kind of they've kind of worn out the, the welcome of these defensive-minded head coaches, and they needed a guy like Adam Gates to be brought in. I wanted, actually, I mean, granted, uh, the Chiefs offensive coordinator obviously hasn't had a head coaching position yet, but I was a little bit wary of bringing in another guy who hasn't had uh, head coaching experience before to coach the Jets. So that's why I understood people who wanted Mike McCarthy, and I personally wanted Adam Gase, because the Jets haven't had a coach who had previously been a head coach since they hired Bill Parcells in the 90s. So I feel like I, I feel like that this was just something that was sorely needed, and you see it's just a pattern among coaches that when guys get their first job, they tend to struggle. Just look at Bill Belichick in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. He struggled for a number of reasons. And then when they're able to learn from their mistakes and get their next opportunity, then you start to see the improvement. And my hope is that that's what you see with Gase. And I think that with what he's proven and how he can develop quarterbacks and help them and, and what he's proven with his offenses, I think that that's what we're going to see. No, look, I'm all for that, honestly. I mean, I think – Josh McDaniels at this point, I mean, he's been the hottest commodity anytime there's been a coaching opening and he hasn't taken it. And I think that he'll thrive when he gets that new position. But with Gaze, I don't know if I've necessarily seen enough. And with having no time off between his first firing and his second job, I don't know how confident I am if I'm a Jets fan knowing that he went out and learned anything. Excuse me, David. Um, I, I get that point. And I do think it's a fine one, but we got to remember that Adam Gase is also probably, I'd say, one of the smartest guys in all football. And I, I'm not going to debate that. Okay, and, and that's fine. Yeah. But part of being smart also is also learning from mistakes, and that's what smart people do. And I think it's worth the risk with Gase because we've seen what he's been able to do schematically. I mean, this guy was one of Nick Saban's most trusted assistants at LSU at the age of 20. Mm-hmm. You don't see that very often from guys like that. And I know that Devin mentioned all the accolades. I mean, had Peyton Manning's probably best year and one of the greatest offenses of all time. He managed to do good work with Tim Tebow, and we all know what Tim Tebow is nowadays. He's, in, he's on the baseball field now. And I, I do trust Gase in terms of learning from mistakes because smart guys have egos. That, that, that's part of it. And I think going through what he did in Miami the first time is going to help him learn that, hey, I, I sometimes got to slow it down a little bit. And I think that will hopefully happen in New York. Obviously, coaching in New York is a completely different animal than Miami, and the learning curve is going to have to come quickly because it is such a quick turnaround. But I think that the upside of Gates outweighs hiring a guy like Mike McCarthy at this point because – like Devin said, I, I, I'm not a believer in McCarthy personally. I think his offense is boring, and he's too at this point where he's not really going to change that. So I was perfectly fine with the Gates hiring personally. Uh, the only guy on defense, I know we talked about hiring a defensive guy that I might have wanted was Chris Richard in Dallas and going after mm-hmm. a young offensive coordinator type. But, listen, I, I'm perfectly fine with the direction the Jets chose to go in. With Gaze, I mean, the, my only another thing, another problem I have with a lot of the Gaze supporters. Now, not necessarily you guys, but in general, I'm hearing a lot of people defending the 23 and 25 that he had in Miami. But 
a lot of those people that are defending gays are the same ones demanding Todd Bowles needed to go. Now, Todd Bowles did have to go. He had to get fired. But it's not like Todd Bowles was dealt this great deck in New York either. If you look at his quarterbacks, he had a career year out of Ryan Fitzpatrick, got the best play out of him, and then he came back down to earth the following year. And then you have Josh McCown, and he had a career year under Todd Bowles. So I'm not going to go and say, and then you have Darnold as well as a rookie, which is difficult for any head coach. So I think it's difficult to say that you can defend Adam Gaze's time in Miami saying he wasn't dealt a fair deck, and then not go and say the same about Todd Bowles when he was in New York. That's a fair point. I mean, personally, from where I stand, I, I thought Bowles had better talent here than Gaze did in Miami. And part of the problem is with that statement, though, at the same time, is that the reason some of those guys in Miami are out was because the way Gase treated some of his players. I mean, he benched Jarvis Landry multiple times. Jay Ajayi basically walked away from nothing because of some of the stuff that went on there. And listen, those are legitimate concerns about Gase. And one of the things that I was mainly concerned about with the hiring of him, but like I said, I, I'm taking trust in that he was able to learn from mistakes because Gates is a really smart guy and he's one of the smartest guys in the NFL. And I I don't know if I'd say I want to trust the Jets because they've screwed up so many times in terms of hiring this guy, but I don't think that the Jets regime would hire this guy if they don't think that he can learn from a mistake like this. Yeah, yeah. And, and another thing I was just going to say is that, I mean, Bulls had to go for a number of reasons. You mentioned that, David. But I just felt like... I felt like a, a big deal with Bulls was how, A, he, he had no fire at all out there on the sidelines. He had no – it just seemed so so apathetic at times. And whereas Gase does have that fire. And, and Gase, Gase's teams, at least this past year, wasn't penalized nearly as much as the Jets were. It was almost like it – was, it was as though the Jets had no discipline. Gase, he had his issues with the players, but I feel like there was a, there was a few egos on that team. Um, and I don't think that you're going to see that same issue with the Jets. Um, granted, I, I, those people that are saying that, that they want Gase uh, and aren't really giving the same credit to Bulls, I agree with you there completely. I don't think that we should compare them in that way. But the, the big deal with Gase to me is that he needs to be able to handle the New York media, and he wasn't really able to do that even in Miami. There were times where he would lose his school, and that can't happen here. And that's something specifically that he needs to learn from. Otherwise, he's going to get eaten alive with the Jets. Yeah, I saw a clip of a, a game where the Dolphins won 31-28 over the Bears. And a reporter went and asked him about Ryan Tannehill's injured shoulder. And he yeah. basically attacked the reporter at a question that's pretty fair. You know, an injury to a player, that's nothing out of the norm you know that's that's a standard question that you should be expecting headed into a press conference but how concerned are you guys about a lot of these players you know and there's a lot of reports coming out as well that Kenyon Drake said if if Gaze is back I want to be out of here you know Cameron Wake apparently wasn't a fan Kenny Stills not a fan and as we know he basically ran Jarvis Landry and Jay Ajayi out of town right I mean I'm wary of that as a Jets if I'm a Jets fan because we've seen so many of these continuous issues, and apparently they liked Todd Bowles. So if they're going to bring in a coach that they wouldn't like, I can't imagine what the disaster in the Jets' locker room could potentially be. Dave, you're, you're right. And the, one of the main things that I was chiefly concerned about is handling personnel. I mean, one of the big reasons I think you mentioned Kenyon Drake, why he wants out is the way he was misused in Miami was criminal. And 
I talked about how good schematically that ace is. One of his biggest weaknesses is handling personnel within game situations. And like you said, Landry was run out of town because of it. They misused Ajayi when he was there mm-hmm. as well. So those are legitimate concerns. But I think to me, the bottom line it comes down to right now, and this is a little off topic here, but nothing, none of these tires matter when you can't really blame Gase if the Jets don't go out and make a big splash. That's fair. In the offseason. That, 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 it comes down to that right now because this is a team that has $100 million in cap space. And even as much as Sam Darnold loves Adam Gates, he's not going to love him that much if he has no one to throw to. I mean, you've got to go out and be a main player for Le'Veon Bell. And I think he's a must at this point. Even Antonio Brown, to me, at this point, should be a guy that the Jets are all in on. That They have to add some big-time playmakers on the offensive side of the ball and also on the defense side of the ball, for that matter, too, because... This team lacks edge rushers, and there's a ton of cap space for the Jets to work with. This is a make-or-break offseason for Mike McCagney, and I, I don't care that this is his first time being able to choose his coach in New York. If he doesn't make something big happen this offseason, I, I think McCagney's gone next year. Agreed on McCagney, but if you want to point to Antonio Brown or Le'Veon Bell and say you want to add one of those guys, we've seen what how <laughs> egotistical they are and how they – are truly out there for themselves at times. We've seen multiple players go and say that about about Antonio Brown. And Le'Veon Bell, while people may have understood why he was sitting out, and I can understand it as well, if you want to talk about egotistical guys joining a coach who's had problems with personnel, I can see that being just a recipe for a total train wreck. Now, like you said... Well, that's fine, Dave. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry to put in here. But that's fine, but... At the same time, it doesn't have to be Antonio Brown or Le'Veon Bell. No, they go out and trade for Mike Evans or an AJ Green. My main point is that they need to add some sort of playmakers. That that was my main point. Agreed, agreed. But you know, with with you saying how Jarvis Landry had a problem here, or Kenyon Drake, you know, some mm-hmm. or Ajayi rather, you know, some more egotistical type of players. If you're getting those players in, maybe Gaze could learn, but he's going to have to really learn on the fly. If you bring in Le'Veon Bell. At, to a first-year head coach in Adam Gaze trying to learn on the fly, I, I'm, I'm a little wary of that. Yeah, I think as long as Bell gets his money. Yeah, no, yeah. sorry, Devin. I mean, yeah, no problem. There's, a, there's no question that they, need to be, that they need to be really picky when it comes to the personnel that they bring in. Listen, they have to upgrade pretty much everywhere on the offense. They need to upgrade in the secondary on the defense and also get some edge rushers. But – the, my whole thing with Gase is that I feel like with what he's proven to be able to do with offenses, with what he's proven to be able to do with quarterbacks, whether it's one of the best ever in Manning or some lower-tier guys like Jay Cutler or Ryan Tannehill or even Tim Tebow, who is barely an NFL quarterback, he's been able to make them better. And when you have a guy with the talent that Sam Darnold was, as long as we're able to put some guys around him, specifically, my, you, Jackson, you were mentioning playmakers at the receiver and running back position. I think even more important to that is being able to protect him. I think if you're able to protect Sam Darnold and with what Gase will be able to do with the offense, I think the sky's the limit for his development. And that's why I think it's a good, it's a good high. I think it's definitely a mixed bag among Jets fans. I mean, I tweeted the other day that I thought Joe Beningo on the fan was going to die on the air because of how much he was going to lose his mind. It didn't reach that point, but it's fair to say that he's pretty unhappy with the gaze fire. Uh, gaze hire, excuse me. I mean, personally, I think you needed to bring in McCarthy and sell the locker room on a guy that will come in and say, I know how to do this. I've done this. Follow this formula that has worked. 
and will be successful? Because I think it's less about what kind of offense you're playing. I think it's more about getting players to buy in and getting those players to play for your coach, which we weren't really seeing with Todd Bowles. But, oh, I, I disagree, Dave. I, I think that the players were all in on Bowles personally. It was it was the other thing. They said it, but then when you see off. when yeah. you see Darren Lee go get suspended multiple times, Leonard Williams practically quit on his team on the field, among other guys. Robbie Anderson's continuous issues on, over the offseason. Yeah. Now you can't go and blame Todd Bowles for all of that, but I think there's something to be said when there's just continuous issues in that locker room. I I, I mean, agree I, I, more. I feel. They, they. I mean, if you watch the team, there was absolutely no discipline this year, especially at the end of the year. And anybody that watched that Bills game at, at the Meadowlands, I mean, there was one player playing that game, and it was Jamal Adams. Yes. There was nobody else. It, it seemed like it was one of the most embarrassing displays I've ever seen because it seemed like nobody else was playing that day. And that, to me, is on the coach. Uh, I, I just have questions about with McCarthy – how much were the guys buying into him as opposed to buying into Aaron Rodgers? That, that, that's kind of more of my question marks with him because obviously he has a Super Bowl ring under his belt and a lot of playoff appearances and a lot of wins, but that's because you have one of the best quarterbacks of all time, in my opinion, yeah. because his offense was often bland at times. A lot of the offense they were able to generate was because Rodgers is running around the pocket trying to create something off the run. And I don't want that in New York because I, I saw too much of it with Sam Darnold in this first year. And when you don't have talent to surround him with, I just feel like it's going to go wrong. But that, that's just how I see it with him. Uh, I, I mean, one more point on the gays hire. In terms of hiring a college coach, it seemed Matt Rule was at the top of their list. Personally, I don't understand how you can make that hire. I mean, a guy who was 8-17, and 17, yeah, he had a horrible situation to handle with the way Art Bryles left Baylor. But still, this is an unproven college coach that's going to come into the league and he's learning on the fly with a young team. I don't understand that thought process at all. Jackson, what do you think about the the potential that uh, Rule would have been the head coach? I honestly wouldn't have minded Rule. Um, but I think the Jets made the right decision to stay away from him after learning that he wanted to hire his own guys. I think that McCagnan and Rule should have both been in conjunction with hiring guys who have been there before and would be able to help him as opposed to just hiring his own staff. Yeah. Because, I mean, you look like you look at what Rule has done at the college level. I mean, he took a Baylor team that won one game the year before and got them a bowl game the year after. He won 10 games multiple times at Temple after they were a disaster before he got there. So the record kind of speaks for itself for me with him. I But I, I do think they went in the right direction following – them finding out that, hey, I want to hire my own guys, that's not how it's going to work. And I think it was eventually the right decision. But had they hired Rule with the thought in mind being that they were going to be able to put guys in place to help him, I don't think it would have been a bad hire, and that probably would have been my first choice as well. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I felt like Rule could have been a good hire depending on who you match with him. If they had hired Rule and also brought in either Gase to be the OC or Todd Munkin to be the OC and brought in maybe Chris Richard to be the DC, then I could get behind it. I think that you need those guys with, with track records to come in and help them to develop the offense and to take control of the defense. I, I wouldn't have minded that, but to let him come in and kind of put his own guys together, that I wouldn't have been so behind. And that's why I felt like you needed a guy 
with a proven track record, at, well, a tr- at least a track record as a head coach, so that he has that, his, that experience and that ability to learn from his mistakes. That's why I like Gaze over Rule. So Gaze will be introduced on Monday at 2 o'clock is what I'm hearing. Um, so, I mean, based on Gaze's history with the media, I think it could be a little bit interesting, but I, I think the Jets are going to do a decent job making sure he reads the right things and has the right statements to say yeah. before he steps to the podium. But we'll shift to Wild Card Weekend from last weekend. Um, nothing really shocked me just because I thought – that all of these games were pretty evenly matched. I think all of them could have gone either way. Um, Starting with the Colts-Texans game, this one surprised me because the Colts did things well that we didn't see in the regular season. They ran the ball so effectively, and they played outstanding defense. The problem is, I don't know how that's going to work against the Kansas City Chiefs. So I actually wasn't that surprised by what happened in Houston. I am... I have been, since about like midway through the season, I've been all in on the Colts. I think that this team, I mark, mark my words, the Colts are going to go to the Super Bowl. I really believe that. And I think that when you, have, when, you have, when you have a quarterback like Andrew Luck, a team that's been 9-1 and one in their last 10 games, and the whole problem throughout Luck's career was that they couldn't protect him. Now you have the team with the best offensive line in the league, bar none. They have the best line in the league a quarterback like Luck playing behind them. You have a playmaker in T.Y. Hilton. Marlon Mack has shown flashes. And the, the Colts' defense behind Matt Eberflus has been outstanding over the past two months. I feel like in every facet, all phases of the game, this team is playing out of their minds. And they dominated what I felt was a pretty good Texans team last week. I feel like they are on a, a, a rampage right now. And I wouldn't be surprised if they go into Kansas City, where it's supposed to be very cold, maybe a little snowy, and are able to run it down the, the Chiefs' throats and control the clock and win that game. I mean, they're hot, and it's really the right time to be hot. And they've been hot for a very long time. With the Colts, I mean, Devin, I wouldn't be shocked if they went and made it that far. I just feel like they're a playmaker away. And until they get that playmaker, I don't necessarily see them making that kind of run. Well, I just feel like, I mean, I, I can see what you're saying. I mean, it would be ridiculous if they went out, because they have the most cap space heading into next offseason, if they went out and added a Le'Veon Bell to that team with that line with Andrew Luck. And I can see it happening. Insane. I think people oh, are ruling it out happening. because of how unbelievable it really would be. Yeah, I, I could totally see that happening. And really, it's, it's a perfect match, in my opinion. That uh, An all-pro quarter, quarterback, the best line in the league, and that much cap space, I feel like I don't see how it doesn't happen. But just for this year, I feel like Marlon Mack has been more, more than they could ask for behind that line. And the, the young guys that they've added this season, whether it's, I mean, Malik Hooker is in his second year, but he's been great back there. And Darius Leonard has been one of the best defenders in all of football in his rookie season at the linebacker position. I feel like, I feel like this team is set up for a deep run. Devin, you scoffed, I mean, excuse me, Jackson, you scoffed at Devin's statement that the Colts are going to go to the Super Bowl. Why? Uh, I don't know if it was a scoff. I, I think it was more of a shock because, listen, I think the Colts are good enough to go to the Super Bowl. Hey, I mean, it came from the same guy that picked the Bengals to win the Super Bowl or go to the Super Bowl in the, regular, in the preseason. So. Every time I'm on with Devin, he has some sort of hot take. He really does. I got to give him credit for that, but. I, I would, I'd be a little worried if I'm Kansas City this weekend because you're in a spot where 
like Devin mentioned, the Colts' offensive line has been so successful, especially as we've gotten to the latter part of this year. The offensive line has clearly stepped it up. I mean, Nelson has had a phenomenal rookie year, and the entire line has come together. And I have real concerns about the Chiefs' ability to stop the run, even though they are at Arrowhead. And without them being able to establish the run themselves, without Kareem Hunt, which we obviously all know how went how that went down, I think there's a very realistic possibility where the Colts go into Arrowhead and win. And I don't mean to bring up the Andy Reid playoff woes, but I'm going to right now. I think those are a legitimate concern as well to me because that was a team last year that shouldn't have lost to Tennessee. They lost to the Steelers on the last play a few years ago at home in the divisional round. This team under Andy Reid has had their fair share of playoff failures and I think this might be the best team of the bunch that they have faced in the Colts because you got a team that's been red hot of late, obviously, that just went into a very tough atmosphere in Houston and dominated the entire first half and really the entire game for that matter. And if they're able to establish the run early against Kansas City like they did against Houston, I think the Colts definitely have a really good shot in this game and to go to the Super Bowl as well. I still think the Chiefs win this game at home just because Arrowhead is such a tough place to play, especially in the cold and in the playoffs. But I think this one could come down to the wire. And, hey, look, we don't know what Patrick Mahomes is going to be in the playoffs. And I think that's a big question as well that people are ignoring because of how brilliant Mahomes was. But we'll see what happens with him in the playoffs. It could end up being his kryptonite. I'm not exactly sure if I see it. But we'll get to our picks right after we finish this segment talking about the wild card. Next game, Cowboys-Seahawks. Cowboys barely hang on. I thought they were going to win this game, and they did. I thought they would cover by a little bit more, to be honest. But Dak Prescott was pretty unimpressive, but they still get the win. This week, he's going to have to be better. In my eyes, I see him as the X factor for the Cowboys. Jackson, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's fair to say that he is the X factor, and I actually like this matchup a little bit for Dallas, even though it's on the road and they struggled to play on the road in the early parts of the season. But they've won some big games on the road this year. I mean, they went into Philadelphia and won a big game with basically their season on the line. But the only reason they won last week was because of Pete Carroll's play-calling issues, personally. That's how I saw it go down, because Seattle put themselves in a position to win that game on multiple occasions, and instead of trying to air it out and let Russell Wilson make plays, they tried too much to keep the ball in Chris Carson's hands. But, listen, I think you're absolutely right, David, that Dak Prescott is the X factor in L.A. There's no doubt about it because he's going to have to be able to make plays downfield and open things up for Amari Cooper because even though this Rams defense has struggled, especially in the secondary, once they kind of switch schematically a little bit, Marcus Peters has come along. The key to leave is finally fully healthy. And they have that secondary intact that they really want. And they're going to double up Amari Cooper. And I don't know how many plays they're going to be able to make outside of him without Alan Hearns. Now, first up to him as well after that injury. But I just I think that although it's a good matchup for the Cowboys, I think the Rams at home are going to give the ball to Todd Gurley a ton. And I think it's going to be a real problem for Dallas. And I, I do think the Rams are going to run away with this one. Devin. Yeah, I to me this game this week Rams uh Rams Cowboys is I feel like it's the biggest long shot for the Cowboys to win this game. I feel like they're really outmatched in terms of talent. I think that they're severely outmatched in terms of coaching. 
Um, and I just feel like the Cowboys are really lucky to even be in this position. Jackson, you mentioned last week how the play calling was awful last week. Brian Schottenheimer, the Seattle offensive coordinator, was, <laughs> I, I did not, I did not, I mean, I, I mean, he, listen, he's an NFL coach, but I felt like watching that I could have called a better game because, I mean, look at the end of the game. They went down the field and scored in about 30 seconds because they just tried to throw it. The entire game, they tried to run the ball against Dallas, who has one of the best run defenses in the entire league, and they couldn't get anything going, and they still only lost by two points. I feel like the Cowboys are very lucky to be in this position. I don't really see how they're going to be able to compete on the road against a team that has more talent and has better coaching. I think the biggest loophole that – not necessarily a loophole, the biggest hole that the the Cowboys can exploit out of the Rams is their run defense. I mean, it hasn't been – it's been an issue for them. And we all know Ezekiel Elliott is going to have a big game no matter who he plays against. So knowing that, knowing that Dallas's defense is really strong despite some issues that might come in the secondary, to me, as long as Dak plays slightly better than he did last week – I think the Cowboys are going to take home this win. Wait, wow, that's a, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty interesting take in itself. But I, I, I just think I think this this game, as good of a matchup as it may be, I think the interior defenders for the Rams are going to just be too much for Zeke Elliott to really establish the run, and that is obviously the most important thing to the Dallas offense. Is if he gets going, that'll kind of motor up the Cowboys to use play action make plays downfield for Prescott because when he's forced to make plays early in the game himself, things don't go well for Dallas' offense. And I, I just don't see this as an opportunity where Dallas really is going to be able to make enough plays with because they're going to double up Amari Cooper, no doubt. And even without Alan Hearns, I mean, it, it's Michael Gallup basically or, or Buss at this point for Dallas yeah. outside of Cooper. And I think they're going to lock him down. And outside of that, I, I just think – also, offensively, the Rams are a completely different animal than the Seahawks. They're not going to be a team that's fully committed to the run the entire game. They're going to open up the playbook, try to make plays downfield against the Dallas secondary, and I think they're going to be able to do so at home. Shifting to Chargers-Ravens, final score was 23-17. This game should have been a blowout. I, I'm weary of Phillip Rivers throughout the playoffs. I mean, he was, I mean, he's never been good in the playoffs, first of all. He comes out against the Ravens, granted a good defense, but is just not impressive. He's a totally different quarterback in the playoffs than he is in the regular season, and you can almost see it on his face, truthfully. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more, really, there. I feel like Philip Rivers definitely makes me nervous in this matchup. On the other hand, though, I feel like in every facet, every part of the game, the Chargers are the better team than the Patriots other than Brady. The only thing that I feel like gives the Patriots a chance in this matchup is the fact that they have Belichick, is the fact that they have Brady, and they're at home. In every other facet, I feel like they're, they're outmatched. Um, but listen, it's, it's, tough for me. it's tough for me to see Phillip Rivers beating Brady on the road, and that's why I think that the Patriots work their magic and, and, and win this game. But the Chargers have so much talent. It, it would be a real shame for them to let this one slip slip through their fingers. Um, I'm right on board with that. But I, I think the Chargers should be the clear favorites in this game personally. And I know you mentioned that the only advantage is Brady and Belichick, which I agree with. But we got to also remember the Chargers are 7-1 and on the road this year. They have won big game after big game 
with their backs against the wall on the road this year. And we saw the way they went to Baltimore against arguably the best defense of all football and really established their offense right away. Even though they had to settle for a few field goals, they moved the ball consistently on the Ravens. And I think this is a team in the Patriots that clearly is one of their weaker teams in the last 10 years personally. Um, I think offensively they're going to struggle against the Chargers defense, which has one of the best secondaries in football. I think the Chargers are going to the Super Bowl, personally. Uh, I picked them to go to the Super Bowl back in week eight, I think. I I love the way they're built. Anthony Lynn has done a tremendous job with this team. And even with the Patriots at home, a place they haven't lost all year at Gillette, I think the Chargers on both sides of the ball are clearly the better team. And you mentioned the struggles with Philip Rivers. I'm not too concerned about that person. I think this is the year he finally breaks through and the Chargers finally go to the Super Bowl. First of all, with Anthony Lynn, I have to give him a ton of credit. Putting seven defensive backs into the game 90% of the time, and yep. still Baltimore was not able to do what they do so well, which is run the football. So I give him a ton of credit there. This league is a head coach and quarterback league. And just because the Chargers are good on the road doesn't mean they're going to win in Foxborough, in my eyes. To be honest, and we're going to get to this, I think this one might be the easiest one to pick for me. I think the Patriots are going to win it, and it's not going to be close. I would not be too concerned wow. about L.A. coming into Foxborough if wow. I'm a Patriots fan. I do not see Phillip Rivers rising to the occasion in the postseason. He never has, and I don't know if he ever will. If you just look at his record and what he's done in the playoffs compared to the regular season, I mean, I'm not knocking Phillip Rivers. This is a Hall of Fame quarterback. But if you look at what he did in the regular season, fantastic. 68% completion percentage, over 30 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, whatever. But just looking over the years, 5-5 five and five in the playoffs. Yes, it's hard to win in the playoffs. 5-5 five and five is not the worst record in the world. 61% completion percentage, 11 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. I don't know. Not buying Rivers at any point in the playoffs, especially when that point is going into New England. I don't see it at all. Wow. Wow. David, I'm glad that you mentioned the Anthony Lynn's decision to put out seven defensive backs. I think it was either on 57 of 58 snaps or 58 of 59, something like that. If they're able to do that type of thing this week against the Patriots and just limit, limit the amount of times Brady has the ball in his hand, forcing them to run the ball. I think that gives them a shot because Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa is obviously one of the best uh, edge defenders in the game. Then they have a chance. Jackson, you mentioned though, how the, how the chargers are seven and one on the road this season. That's great, but the Patriots are 8-0 at home. And I, now, I feel like this is going to be a really close game. This, in my opinion, is the most difficult game for me to pick, but I think the Patriots win in a close one. Oof, man, I, I got to go with L.A., and I'm so tempted to call them San Diego, but <laughs> I, I love this Chargers team. I, I think this is the best Chargers team, arguably in franchise history, definitely under Phillip Rivers, for sure. And I just look at what the Chargers do defensively, if they're able to stop the run again, like they did against Baltimore and a much better run-heavy team, some of the things we don't talk about the Patriots is how reliant they are on establishing the run early because if they don't have Sonny Michelle working or James White in the backfield, they're in a lot of trouble. And I think part of what the Chargers do so well, even though they're more predicated on their pass rush and their secondary, is that they are able to stop the run. And I think as long as they're able to do it, early, that'll force the ball on Brady's hands to air it out a lot, which 
I don't think is necessarily his strength, even though obviously he's Tom Brady, he can do a ton. But I'm I'm a big believer in the Chargers. I think they're going to the Super Bowl, like I said, and I think the Chargers could win this game by multiple scores. Personally, hey, look if if the Chargers do win this game, and Jackson, you're right. It's really going to solidify Philip Rivers' legacy. This is the biggest game of his career, regardless of what happens. I mean, if they go into the Super Bowl, that will then obviously become the biggest game of his career. But to and this they, point... They, just, just imagine, sorry, before you make your point quickly, um, talk about big games with Rivers. I mean, it just seems different this year for me because he's risen okay. the occasion on so many times. I mean, overcoming a 16-point deficit against the Steelers, winning in... Arrowhead, when you're down by multiple scores in the fourth quarter, it just seems like everything is clicking for Rivers this year in a way that hasn't before, and that, that's part of the reason why I'm so drawn to pick them. But I, I, I love Rivers, and I, I just think that with the surrounding pieces, that this is the best Chargers team in a long time, and I think they're going to go all the way to the Super Bowl. Yeah, to this point, this is Rivers' biggest game, um, and I don't think there's much debating that. Um, I think if it's close, it'll come down to the turnover battle, and if I'm going to go out on a limb in a close game and say who's going to win the turnover battle, I'm going to go with Bill Belichick's side against just about anyone in the league. But moving to the final game from last weekend and then shifting it into this game, this one has the biggest spread. The Saints are eight-point favorites. The Eagles beat the Bears 16-15 on a missed field goal by Cody Parkey, a couple of questionable calls by Matt Nagy. Before we get into Eagles-Saints, I just want to get your thoughts, not so much on Parkey's kick, but the way Nagy handled the end of that game. Devin, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I just felt like I was shocked because all year Matt Nagy has gotten the most that he could out of that offense. He's been able to to get the ball deep downfield to Allen Robinson basically at will this year using Tariq Cohen. And I felt like there was two key things that really affected his play calling in this game, and that was A, Trey Burton wasn't there, and I felt like that really closed a lot of things off down the middle of the field. And B, for some reason, for whatever reason, I'm not really sure why, he didn't use Tariq Cohen all that much, who's been basically their X factor for them all season. And he still almost saved the game for them at the end. I just felt like Nagy seemed a little bit – he seemed scared of what of, of maybe a mistake that, that Mitch Trubisky might do. I don't know what it was, but it felt like the Bears for the first time this year – we're playing scared, and ultimately that costs them the game because if your defense gives up 16 points, that's a game you should win every time. Fully on board with that. Um, mostly about Tariq Cohen because what do you have? One carry and four touches the entire game? That, that, that can't happen with one of the best playmakers in all football. And a guy that could be even a safety blanket for you for Mr. Vincent yeah. because if maybe he actually had legitimate concerns about Trubisky being able to make plays, don't force him to make big plays. Give it to your best playmaker, a guy who's arguably – you think you could argue Cohen has been the certainly the most dynamic, but arguably the best running back in all football this year. And it, the fact that they did not get him involved in the offense early and even down the stretch of the game, I mean, his biggest play was a kick return at the end that almost saved him. So that, that was the biggest thing for me. I, I thought Nagy clearly looked a little nervous in terms of his play-calling style against the Eagles defense, who – have had problems in the secondary with injuries and effectiveness all year. This this is the Bears game to lose. And obviously the Parky thanks thanks for them because they should have won, but they put themselves in a position to lose and that was on coaching. And 
That's not to say that Nagy isn't a great coach because he is one and is going to be a great coach in this league going forward. Like you said, just some first playoff team jitters, in my opinion, and it clearly showed in his style of trying to win this game. On top of the misuse of his offensive playmakers as well, a couple of questionable timeouts, too. When the Eagles had the ball, it looked like they were going to score, and he had timeouts in hand and just kind of didn't use them. That was questionable to me as well. But I think a lot of people are not giving the Eagles a chance going into the Superdome. And I'm not going to go out on a limb and fully debate those people. But so many people forget that the Eagles are the Super Bowl champs. And I think that they're almost better in this position where everyone is going to doubt them. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like the. Listen, the Eagles are another team, just like the Cowboys, that I felt like were very, very fortunate to make it out of last week. And I feel like the Saints at home with Drew Brees, keep in mind, the Eagles have one of the most beat-up secondaries in all of football and are really struggling to defend the pass. I, I don't see how they're going to be overcome, be able to overcome or keep up with the Saints' passing attack, especially with that Saints' offense, offensive line. I feel like they're outmatched in, uh, in the trenches. They're outmatched in their secondary versus the Saints' pass offense. And I think Sean Payton is a better coach right now than Doug Peterson. And I, I don't see how they're going to be able to take this game. I have a lot of concerns about Doug Peterson's play calling in terms of – I think he's a great coach, and that kind of stands for itself with what he's able to do last year especially with Nick Foles, but I don't. I think you really have to commit to the run, and it's been kind of my common theme today because if you want to win, you got to stick with the run and commit with it, and especially going on the road in probably the toughest atmosphere that they're going to face all season in the, Met, in the Mercedes-Benz Dome. But I just don't see a scenario in which the Eagles win this game at all. I think the Saints offense is way too dynamic. They can beat you in so many different ways. And I just, I just don't see Nick Foles beating Drew Brees in a shootout. But that, that's what it comes down to for me. I think the magic finally runs out. And I, I think this is going to be a blowout similarly like it was in the regular season when the Saints won 45-7. to I don't see much changing from that. So, guys, let's just run through all of our picks for this week. And then following those picks, we'll do a best bet based it off of the spread. So, Devin, let's get you first. Yeah, so I think that the Colts uh, finish on top of the uh, on top of Kansas City at Arrowhead. I think that um, the the Rams uh, beat beat up on the Cowboys this weekend. I think the Saints win a close one over the Eagles, just because I feel like the Eagles have been pretty magical lately, and they've just been able to hang with teams that have been better than them. They just beat the Bears, and or a couple of weeks ago they beat the Rams. So I think they keep this game close, but fall to the Saints. And I think that the Patriots win a very close one with the Chargers on the back of Brady and Belichick. And then your best bet. So we're looking at Colts plus five and a half, Cowboys plus seven, Chargers plus four, Eagles plus eight. Yeah, I think the best bet is uh, Colts plus four. I think that that's an easy one plus, for me. Yeah, five I, and a half. I, yeah, well, I mean, sorry, my bad. Plus five and yeah. a half. I would take them straight up. I think that they're going to win this game, and I think that – Granted, Patrick Mahomes has been the MVP this year. I just feel like the Colts are the more complete team. Jackson, how about you? Okay. Uh, all right, I'll start with the AFC. Um, I like the Chiefs over the Colts in a tight one. I, I think that's going to be a one-score game, but I, I think Mahomes makes enough plays 
beneath Frank Ryan and Andrew Luck and the Colts. I think the Chargers beat the Patriots by multiple scores on Sunday. I, I think the Chargers are clearly the better team, and I, I've said that repeatedly today. And as for the NFC, I like the Rams in a pretty significant victory over the Cowboys. Just don't think the Cowboys have enough dynamic playmakers on offense without Amari Cooper pretty much from double team the entire game. And the Rams offense is just too good in that regard. And then similarly, Saints over the Eagles in a blowout for me. I, I think the magic finally runs out for Nick Foles. In terms of my best bet, I've kind of been between two on here, but I'm going to stick with Chargers, the Chargers at plus four because I, I would take the money line on that person. I'm not entirely sure what it is right now, but I think the Chargers are going to win this game outright, and if not, it's going to come down to a field goal at the end for me. And I think getting four points is enough for me to take the charge and lock them. Yeah, so, Devin, I'm with you. I'm going to go Colts uh, and Patriots in the AFC. And then the NFC, I'm going to go Saints, and I'm going to go Cowboys. I like this Cowboys team as long as Dak plays well, and I really think they could make a run. But even though I do have two underdogs winning in the Colts and the Cowboys. Jackson, I'm going to go the opposite of you, and a lot of the listeners might be kind of mad at us for doing this, but I'm going to say Patriots laying four is the best bet. I just I just trust the Patriots more than any other team. I trust the Patriots covering more than I do my Cowboys and Colts pick, to be honest with you. So, Dave, I'll give, I'll give you another one just because – so we're not Go ahead. Yeah. Something off the bet, but <laughs> I think New Orleans minus eight is a, is an easy pick for me too. Really? Even though, wow. I, even though even though I think the Eagles are a better team than the team that lost forty five to seven earlier in the year, I, I just think playing in the Ben Dome, especially in the playoffs, is just going to be too tough. And I, I think the Saints are going to pretty much stop on the Eagles. And with their defense being able to handle the run of the Eagles, which they're not going to commit to all game long. I just think the, it's going to be too much of a burden for Nick Foles to really make plays during this game. And I think the Saints at least win by multiple scores. It might even be three. Hey, look, I don't hate it, but I, the only thing I'm wary of is a team laying eight in the playoffs. That's truthfully the only thing. It's holding, a lot. Holding, yeah, holding me back um, from that one. But anyway, Jackson, Devin, thank you for stopping by. This is the divisional round of NFL Friday. Tune in again next Friday uh, for more playoff picks, more playoff talk, and keep tuning in through the rest of the season. Thanks. Thank you.